0: Listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and big guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail
1: tech to shape the future of retail.
0: Hello and welcome to season three, episode five of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host Ricardo Belmar,
2: and I'm your co-host Casey Golden. Welcome to Retail's favorite podcast for product junkies, commerce technologists, and everyone else in retail and retail tech alike.
0: Today, as part of our back to basics of retailing theme this season, we are once again focusing on people. Those frontline workers and retail stores and the process of hiring and retaining the best candidates. A process that is under the umbrella of a lingering industry labor shortage, completely broken. So to that end, we are answering an extremely important question. How do we change? How we hire, connect, match retail brands or retail workers respectfully, transparently, and humanly? And can technology help?
2: To do that, we're talking with our latest retail transformer, someone who is no stranger to the show, having been with us five times previously.
0: Wow, five times? So this will be number six. I think that's the most of any guest short of our our Retail Avengers team.
2: It's very true, but like, is there ever enough of Ron? None of those were one of the retail transformers, right? So today we have none other than Ron Thurston, one of my faves. Come on, he's everyone's favorite. That's true. Author of Retail Pride, The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career, host of the Retail in America Nationwide Tour and podcast. And former retail operations leader at so many brands, every listener would recognize. We'll hear about that more later. Right now, he is the co-founder of Aussie, something we're going to be hearing about today.
0: So of all of our retail transformers to date, there is no question that Ron is absolutely more than meets the eye.
2: (laughs) The volley is over to you. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: got you that time. (laughs)
2: You took my line.
0: Fortunately, my timing was near perfect on that one and didn't give you the chance to steal it from me.
2: (laughs) I'll have a chance to change my strategy for next time. So, okay, we are back to talking about people in our Back to Basics theme. And I have to say, I'm very intrigued by what Ron is doing to tackle this hiring situation and labor shortage in retail. And I suspect there's a unique twist to technology that he's applying as well, based on what he's experienced on the Retail in America tour.
0: But first, it's time for one of our newest segments on the show, Blade to Greatness, where we hear from a retail industry leader who shares their insights and wisdom on how to excel in this dynamic and competitive field. In this segment, we learn about the essential skills and qualities that every retail executive needs to have to lead their teams and their businesses to success. Whether we're talking about the corporate office or stores, we'll uncover valuable tips and advice that you can apply to your own retail career path.
2: We'll speak with Jeffrey P. McNulty, founder and CEO of New Retail Ethos, creator of The Ultimate Retail Course, and author of The Ultimate Retail Manual will learn from his 30 years of hands-on experience as an executive leader for The Home Depot, Lowe's, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, ShopCo, Toys R Us, Publix, and Festival Foods, plus 18 years of experience as a retail research analyst, having conducted over 1,000 consultations with clients on Wall Street, hedge fund managers, equity investment partners, retailers, and entrepreneurs in the retail sector. Jeffrey has a myriad of experience, knowledge, and wisdom when it comes to retail leadership.
0: Today, he's here to share with us one of the most important characteristics every retail leader needs to master, and that is the paramount importance of providing employee autonomy. Let's listen to what he has to share with us.
2: Welcome, Jeffrey.
3: Thank you, Casey and Ricardo, for having me on the Retail Razor Show. It's It's an honor, and I look forward to coming back in the future. That's a great question Ricardo. Employee autonomy is very very near and dear to my heart. In my best-selling book The Ultimate Retail Manual and in my top-selling online course The Ultimate Retail Course, I share six anchors on how retailers and businesses can create an inclusive, engaging, and rewarding culture for their employees, customers, leaders, and vendors. The fourth anchor of the six is the extent to which employee autonomy is allowed in making decisions, developing innovative ideas, and enabling personal personal expression within your organization. Autonomy in the retail sector at any leadership level is having the freedom of choice and making decisions with confidence from your superiors to incur mistakes. Autonomy in the retail sector is generally considered an unacceptable practice because of the deluge of regimented corporate structure and accountability placed upon the stores. This outdated temperament severely inhibits each store leader's ability to positively influence their environment and fully express employees' creativity and innovative ideas. If you study the top technological or technology organizations, I should say, you will find a very successful blueprint being implemented. There's no harm in cherry picking from other companies or sectors with an effective operating strategy. One of the most potent attributes, the technology companies is their understanding of autonomy's positive impact on their organization. They encourage autonomous behavior while rewarding their teams for exemplary results. If you read their press releases, they openly admit that many of their top revolutionary ideas come from groups of skilled associates who have full autonomy to achieve their goals. Here are some prime examples of massive innovative ideas that came to fruition by organizations that actively support and embrace employee autonomy. And when I thought about these, I thought, wow, I never knew these came from, from autonomous behaviors. Google developed Gmail from this. Facebook developed a like button. And this one really was, was interesting. Lockheed Martin created the SR-71 Blackbird and F-22 Raptor from employees having autonomous behavior. And then of course, one of the ones I'm most proud of is I was proud to be responsible for bringing Gorilla Glue to the Home Depot in 2002. And this was because I was afforded the opportunity of autonomy from my superiors. So I I called up my my president at the time for the Midwest division, his name was Bill Patterson. And I explained to him that I wanted to create a pilot program, at my store in Green Bay, Wisconsin, for four Gorilla Glue SKUs and presented consumer feedback to him, revenue numbers, SKU penetration, metrics, and gross margin statistics to the, mid, to the entire Midwest divisional merchant teams. And they were extremely impressed and decided to roll out these SKUs to the entire Midwest division and ultimately the entire company. So as an added bonus of being on the, as for listeners of the Retail Razor podcast, I'm at it, I'm offering a $100 off discount to all listeners for the Ultimate Retail Course. All you have to do is go to the theultimateretailcourse.com and enter in the code Retail Rockstar One Hundred off. And for any of my consulting services at New Retail Ethos, just go to NewRetailEthos.com. dot oh,
0: Well, thank you for that amazing offer for our listeners, Jeffrey, and and also I let me also thank you for having brought Gorilla Glue G- Gorilla Glue into the Home Depot because That's I for one am a major customer.
3: That <laughs> That's a tongue twister. I don't think anybody gets that right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's a tongue twister. But that. That's a fantastic example. I say that is a great example of autonomy. I love all those examples. I mean, so many things can come by just listening for a key creative idea.
3: Yeah, I, I think that that's really the the another another actuator that you can really motivate people with. See, a lot of times what's happening is leaders of businesses and retailers are trying to motivate again extrinsically. You know, increase pay, more time off, more perks. And don't get me wrong, employees love that. But when you go to work every day, when you get out of bed in the morning and you choose to go to work for a retailer or a business, that's a conscious choice you're making. And I used to say to myself when I was driving to work to, uh, every day to work, I'd say, Jeff, who are you going to impact today? And then driving home from work, I used to say, Jeff, who did, you, who did you positively impact today? And I would go through the list of people and it would always make me feel good to know that I had impact on people. But you got to create that environment where people want to come to work. And, and, you know, people think again, it's always the perks, but it's not always the perks. If you look at the technology companies, they're removing the foosball tables and the free lunches and all that, because that's great, but people get, get, they get used to that. You, you know, they, they get used to all those extra perks and it doesn't have the same motivational impact because it, it doesn't come from inside. It doesn't tap into what I like to call heart energy. You know, I was listening to Neil Diamond, his song, tap into your Heartlight." And I play that once every morning, believe it or not, when I'm getting ready in the morning, I put it on, on, on YouTube. And I play that because I want to make sure I'm tapping into my heart light every day. And and that's really it's not it's not really that hard to do, but you, you you gotta really care about people. We keep talking about this. This is a repetitive pattern. You gotta care about people, you gotta promote the right leaders who care about people. And, and you gotta really wanna see people succeed. I, I worked with a lot of leaders that if 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 they were happy when they were succeeding, But if anybody else was succeeding, they were jealous or they were envious. And, you know, I'd be like, I'd pull them aside and say, listen, we're we're all in this together. You know, we're all connected as human beings around the world. We're all connected. We're all part of the same species, right? And we're all, I, I wanna see everybody doing well. And the expression that I use is that we live in a wealthy, abundant, and prosperous universe where there's enough for everyone to go around. But you gotta have leaders that generally care about this. And so, one of the things I enjoyed the most about being a leader. Was, was creating future leaders. You know, I had, a, I had a vice president come up to me one time at a walk at Home Depot and he would say, he says, what's your, one, what's your number one thing that you're responsible for? And, and everybody started saying customer service. I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's developing future leaders. Because if you develop future leaders, that's gonna take care of itself. Now, if you're developing future leaders and you're not a good leader, then that's a different story. Because, you know, I worked in a lot of stores, a lot of districts where there was a lot of mini-me's running around, you know, from Austin Powers, a lot of mini-me's that were running around and they would only hire type A personalities. And I'm like, have you ever been in a store or a district with all type A personalities? It's chaos. It's literally chaos personified. And so I made sure that when I interviewed people, I interviewed over 6,000 people throughout my career. I looked at the numbers and went back and I didn't count up every single one, but that's about a, a rough estimate. And I hired A, B, C, and D personalities because our customers are going to be A, C, A, B, C, and D personalities. And you have to learn how to... I'd have introverted people that were worried about getting promoted because they weren't extroverted or rah-rah. And I'd be like, listen, you, you can do it in your own way. Just make sure you're communicating in a way that people are resonating with. And I would teach them that, you know what, when you're dealing with, with shy or quiet or introverted people, you have to alter the delivery of your message, okay? Not, not the message itself, the delivery of your message. So maybe you watch your body language, maybe you watch your tone, you know, maybe you stand back a little bit, you know, you don't stand so rigid, you know, and so you use your body language to communicate that because they say body language is seventy percent of the communication anyway, right? So, you, but you know that was what I enjoyed the most was developing future leaders. And that vice president pulled me aside after the walk and said, "You know what, Jeff? That's a perfect answer. That's a perfect answer because I never thought of it from that. Because I'm about to say, take care of the customer, take care of the employee. Well, great leaders. If you're promoting the right leaders and developing the right leaders, they're going to do that automatically again." I would get the stores and districts I was responsible for on autopilot when it came to the basics, customer service, inclusion, autonomy, entrepreneurship, and then all the other things naturally fell into place.
2: Thank you so much for joining us, Jeffrey, and sharing actionable insights that retailers can do to improve the ownership. Thank you.
3: My pleasure.
0: Okay, so From what I've heard Ron describe about Aussie before, and knowing his history in the industry, this is going to be a fascinating discussion with so many facets to it. It's destined to be one of our most memorable episodes. So let's dive in right away and get right to our conversation with Ron Thurston.
2: Welcome to the show again, Ron. I think this is appearance number six, maybe seven.
1: (laughs) It's seven. (laughs) I think you're making up numbers now, Casey, but six sounds like a lot, I hope your audience can stand one more episode with me.
0: I, I think we may have to have a special plaque made or something just to commemorate the occasion. Because it's always so amazing to have you on the show, I mean, There's just no shortage of topics we can talk about, but I am especially excited
1: for today because I know there's a lot of new things to cover. There are. No, thank you. Thank you for having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to kind of talk about what's what's next after the Retail in America tour.
2: Yes. So you've been on before, but we've never really dug into your background and how you got to where you are today. Catch us up on your accidental retail career. Mm. I'm going to steal a little phrase from your book there. (laughs) We'd love to hear how you started in retail, the brands that you've been at, the process of like writing your book Mm. and retail in America tour, Mm. just kind of catch us up to speed for everyone that kind of wasn't able to keep up.
1: Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll I'll make it quick because those three questions could make an hour (laughs) by themselves, you know, at 40 years in the business, but I, so I'm from Northern California. I'll give you the highlights. I'm from Northern California and I grew up in a family that was in the construction business. My grandfather owned a company was the CEO of a construction company that primarily built grocery stores and ended up being one of the primary vendors to building building all the Safeway stores on the west coast. and so and my entire family worked for my grandfather and in different capacities. And as the firstborn grandson, all of a sudden, there's like three construction guys in here. as the firstborn <laughs> grandson, I think there was kind of this expectation that I was going to get into this business and and lead, you know, this construction company. And it was just really not not my goal. And I was very transparent about that. And my grandfather was incredibly supportive. And in fact, my book is dedicated to my grandfather and and the leadership skills that he taught me. The company that I'm starting now is named Aussie, which is also a nickname from after him. His name was Oscar. And so this idea of his influence as a leader. And what that meant to my career was very influential, but I wanted to do something else. So I went to school in California at a school called FIDM, Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. I studied, I got a two-year degree and they called it retail administration, which I think was just a (laughs) made-up degree of like random classes of like retail math and fashion history and weird things. And I was like, I don't care. I just, I want to get to work. What does this mean? And I also knew uh, this kind of love of fashion. So I went back to the same school for a second time and got a degree in fashion design. And so from there, it's like, I love retail. I love fashion. I understand fashion history and construction and pattern making. And I really thought I was going to be a designer. And I actually was a pattern maker for a couple of years. I was an assistant design room manager. I became a designer for a menswear brand. I was California menswear designer of the year. and But I loved retail and there was really no taking me back. I'd always worked part-time, but then I started at The Gap and a friend of mine was already there and said, you know, they're really looking for great people to help grow them. This was early nineties. And so this was a time when You know, Gap was really becoming one of the most important places, not only just to shop, they were really reinventing what retail was, what private label meant, you know, how to at the time still multi-brand. We sold Levi's, you know, what did all that mean in the future of retail? And so I joined Gap and spent the next decade there. And from there, I was like, I was all in and that was a brand that was highly dedicated to its people and, and my development. So I was from an assistant store manager because I knew nothing, store manager, district manager, I I moved into corporate visual merchandising. I worked at Banana Republic. I worked at outlet. I did anything they asked. I moved to Texas for a while for them. And it was just this immersion into what it meant to love and work in retail. And it really set the stage for the rest of my career because many of the people who were there during that decade, like mid-90s to mid-aughts, were some of the most influential people in our industry. So I went on to help start West Elm, which was formerly led by the CEO of Banana Republic, started West Elm. And so under that, so said, oh, great, Like here's, here are these incredible leaders going on to start new brands. I want to be part of that. So went on to work at West Elm, went on to run Apple stores, went back as a store manager at Apple, and then ultimately ran multiple stores for them. Also, you know, many former gap people called us Gaples, who were at Apple (laughs) during those years. So we're now we're at like 2008, 2009, you know, I'm launching iPhone two, I'm launching the iPad, I launched MacBook Air, and it was phenomenal. Same, like these what down was really changing what it meant to have a retail business that was kind of a like fast fashion for your home before that okay. was even a thing. And Apple, as we all know, you yeah. know, reinvented what the retail experience mm-hmm. is. Right. And what a, a new model is, what what culture it can be, what real training actually is mm-hmm. in retail. There's still today. I think no one yeah makes the investment that Apple does in people and their development and their commitment to their careers. And I was really proud to work there and went on to then at the same time, like help launch and run Tory Burch in the field. She was, you know, as a female founder, you know, a woman who was really building this American brand, like another, the next great American brand opened dozens of stores opened the flagship on Madison Avenue in New York. I opened the flagship on Rodeo Drive and I was living in LA at the time and just had this great run. And then moved on to, I moved to New York City. So this was about nine years ago to help start Bonobos. So you, there's this trend in my life that I've like, I want to be where the most interesting and innovative and game-changing brands are Making a difference in our industry? Who's mm-hmm. doing the right. most interesting right. things? And it rarely had anything to do with the product that they were selling. Mm-hmm. It was more about what's the business model? Who works yeah. there? How are they doing? Why are they there? What are you going to do? What is the financial success plan? What's unique about this business? And I sought them out. I'm like, I want to be here. I know what you're going to do. I know who's here. I want to be part of this. And I think that. For me, that's a philosophy that I try to speak to to people in their retail careers. Like you have to manage your own career. No one's going to do this work for you. You need to be constantly learning, constantly curious, constantly thinking about where am I going to grow my skill set and the, the tools in my toolbox, for lack of a better term. And you do that through finding great leaders and great brands to go and learn from. And it doesn't mean you're going to be there for the rest of your life. It means you're going to learn what you need to learn at that time because every brand goes through highs and lows right. and you right. want to be there on the high. And so Bonobos, Andy Dunn, as he was starting Bonobos mm-hmm. came to LA and said, we need someone to teach us how to run retail and how to build a brand new way to experience a brand and which is today the, the guide shop and Still today, sells no invent, doesn't sell anything in the guide shop. It's 100% about experience and happy to create that. Went on to run Saint Laurent for North and South America, my only non-American-based brand. And I had said at the time to them, I'm like, I'm not your guy. Like, I'm an American (laughs) brand, fun, I have a lot of energy. I'm like the fun guy who loves to run retail and people love to work for me. I'm not sure Santa La for me, but like, no, 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 we want you here. This is what we need. And, you know, that I won't say that that was entirely true, but I had a great run. I had a beautiful office at the corner of 57th and Fifth you know, Avenue and uh-huh. worked in a flagship opened stores all over the world and was an incredible way to learn like the ultimate expression of luxury. And from one of the most important fashion houses in history, I was really proud to work there. And the last part was, the last three years was running Intermix. And, you know, as part of Gap Bank at the time, we mm-hmm. kind of multi-brand luxury, learning everything that I had learned over the past 30 years about customer experience and how to lead teams to greatness, which was an important part of getting the brand through COVID, getting... Mm-hmm. The business back on track for gap and uh, just a really interesting moment in time for this you know 27 year old brand that was originally family founded so uh, i i take great respect for those businesses that have done such good work over the years and then just to, to wrap it up i told you this would take a long time casey i it's such a great story i think you know that I said. You know, I, we, after all of these years, I said, and I have this such commitment in my heart and my mind for everyone that does work in retail, and that mm-hmm. you are customer facing. You are the most important person in a brand because that you are the person that the customer remembers. You are the reason why someone comes often to a brand. You, you, you have an entrepreneurial spirit. You run your business in your own four walls. Like these are incredible people, business owners that like I did, you just kind of often accidentally, and you learn to how to be good at this on the job. There's no school that would say, I'm going to be a good retail leader. Mm -hmm. And so I said, we don't speak about this enough. We don't celebrate this work enough. We don't recognize it as a valid career. Brands that are putting on big conferences and such, they're using Mm -hmm. books from other industries to try to incorporate it into a leadership conference, which is what I had done for years as I put on Mm -hmm. conferences. And I said, I want to write the first book that's just dedicated exclusively to the people who work in stores. And that's what Retail Pride Mm -hmm. became Mm the name, putting those two words together, because pride is such an important way to think about how you want to show up, and how you choose to show up, how you articulate your career is really rooted in pride. So putting those two words together and as the right. guide to celebrating your accidental career, it's an easy read, it's fun, but it, it really, it took off and became you know a bestseller pretty quickly. It sells all over the world, which I'm really proud of it, because this same conversation about Retail is the same job that people have in every country in the world. Right. And it doesn't matter what you sell. doesn't matter the price point. And I've said this before, the the price of the product shouldn't dictate the pride in your work. Mm -hmm. And that actually is often the case. There's this kind of aspiration to work in luxury and having worked in luxury, that's great. But having spent a year traveling, which I'll get to, you know, when you're in Walmart and Dollar General those are really important jobs that support the general population of this country. Mm -hmm. And so there is this misconception that jobs in higher price point product are better jobs or more, more relevant, more important, and should be more proud. And I can battle that, Mm -hmm. you know, and so now brands buy retail pride for all new hires that come in. There are companies that now that bring me in to speak to their retail teams and they buy the book in advance. And by the time, you know, a hundred store managers have read it and highlighted it and dog-eared all the pages. By the time I get to the front of the room, they're like, it's so excited to speak to me about Mm -hmm. their retail career. No one has ever asked them about what they love about working in retail. No one's had this Mm -hmm. outside of their brand. And I will say this when I'm speaking, like we're not gonna talk about the company you work for. We're gonna talk about you. Mm And why you're in this business, why you do what you do, why you love it. The stories are unbelievable and they come to me every day about how incredibly proud people are to work in this industry. Not that it's not incredibly difficult or have its very tough days, because it does. And so, with the success of Retail Pride, I was able to go on tour for the last 14 months, calling it the Retail in America Tour. Did a lot of book signings, did a lot of events, Mm -hmm. um, hosted a a podcast called Retail America and met people in 30 different states, all from stores, interviewed founders, leaders, store managers, some in tech, some family-owned businesses, big brands, small brands. I met so many interesting people and with a very common thread that they love this business, they are looking for continued growth and opportunities. I think the conversation that is the most important we can have today is about career growth, Mm -hmm. because it's the number one call out. When we talk about turnover in retail, we talk about, you know, why is the retail industry such a high turnover? Why do people abandon it? It's because of lack of clear career growth opportunities. It's number one. They want continued investment and training and development and and I referenced my own career early on because when I had that, it made me stay. When mm-hmm. someone said, you know, Ron, Ron, I can see you have a like, really high potential to be a yeah. district manager. Here's what we're going to do to get you there. You're going to come to the next you know, GM conference. You're going to come to this next meeting and you're going to be sit in the, with other people who are high potential. We're going to send you to this meeting. We're going to send you to Europe. We're going to do things. We're going to invest in you. And yeah. I think over the last decade, some of that is gone. Mm-hmm. And we have to say, if we're going to change the way people perceive their careers and, and why choosing a career in stores is a very important and valid choice, then we also have to change the way that we think about investing in mm-hmm. people and investing in continue training and development in right. honest and open right. career conversations and providing opportunities for growth, even when times are are tougher, and you could say that to be very true, mm. it doesn't mean that you stop investing. And right. in fact, you invest harder. Exactly. In exactly. Yeah.
2: You know, there's, I mean, it's one in people on the planet work in retail in mm-hmm. some capacity. And you can take, You can probably grab one of the most successful attorneys or this most successful doctors and pluck them out. And their first job was in retail like this is Mm. retail is the foundation of of most careers and most communities. And it's just an unparalleled amount of pride and passion for the people that stay in it. because Mm -hmm. a lot of the work is not logical (laughs) it it is emotional you love what you do because you know you don't they don't you don't get work nine to five you don't get weekends off. you know Mm -hmm. there's all these other things that come into it that there are sacrifices for your regular retail job because you choose it because of of, of love then you really love what you do and you are proud and want to grow and so i feel i never had that career path i had a, a carrot dangled mm-hmm. but never a path
1: right to, right
2: throw it out yeah. yeah you know there was always this if you work on the floor you can't work at corporate
1: yeah and i think some, some of those old school thought processes we have to we have to change you know the world is yeah. changing around us the The base of the candidate pool is changing. The way people think about work has clearly changed. Mm -hmm. flexible work, all of it. Like we, we can't sit back and say, well, that's the way we always did it. Or if you've done this, therefore you can't do this. If you didn't go to school here, if you didn't work here, you can't work here, which is Mm -hmm. still very true in luxury. And I was an example of, I would come in, I'm like, I never worked in luxury, but I can figure this out. I know Mm -hmm. what a customer wants. And the customer wants an incredibly important conversation and to be educated, maybe about history, maybe about quality, maybe about construction, maybe about store design. I don't need to have come from luxury to learn how to have that conversation or to teach it. Right. And so that's why I was so successful. Like Mm -hmm. don't let the fact that you maybe haven't done something hold you back from going after what you, what you want and don't let. You know, there's this old school of like, well, I need my next job, I need to run more revenue. It needs to be a higher volume business or I need to have a higher store count or I need to stay only in fashion because I know fashion. And I just counter that all the time. I'm like literally, I've sold baby clothes. I've sold furniture, pillows. Mm-hmm. I've sold computers. I've sold one hundred thousand dollar dress. I've sold mm-hmm. you name it, I've sold it, and I don't yeah, care yeah. it's all yeah. for me, it's all retail, yeah, and yep. the yeah. idea of the love of the business is not always. It's not about the product. It's about you and your team and the experience that you want to create. And you can create that in any four walls.
0: Yeah, and, and it's, to your point, really it's empowering. Yeah, and to your point, it's really I think transferable in, in that way, right? It's not mm-hmm. unique to any particular segment necessarily. It's a skill set when you have done that job and you want to do it more. It's something you can move from segment to segment category to category. I've always felt that one of the things that's sort of broken about the process is that maybe on the, the, the corporate side of, of retail, there's been a little bit of an expectation that this is the job of last resort for a lot of people they're hiring, which I think is, is absolutely the wrong approach to take. Because if you have that going in, then what's that? how is that going to impact anything that you decide to create around training? around to your earlier point about career growth, about anything related to retention, you, you kind of lose sight of those things if you're going in position is that, well, people didn't really come to this position because it's what they wanted. It's because it's what they were able to get. And right. I think that also has a pretty big impact on something Case and I talked about when we introduced this particular episode in, in the whole hiring process too in retail. How do you find, how does a brand find the people, especially now that we we continue to live in, the, in this time where there's still a labor shortage for most retail right. segments. And that means that you have to create an environment that incentivizes people to want to come and work in retail where they otherwise might not think about it. And I don't think brands are used to being in that position. Uh, right. And I think that kind of makes us look at this and say, this process is broken. And I know you have a unique perspective on that as well, Ron, right about how is this process broken? How can we fix it? so I did want to hear a little bit more from you on what what you think uh, can be done there to kind of disrupt the whole
1: approach. Yeah. Thank you, Ricardo. That's a really good setup. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I, so what I know to be very true, again, decades into this is that none of this, our industry is, is foundationally. Committed, and the important, the most important part of this has to be in how we hire and retain and recruit Mm -hmm. people to work in retail. There will be, there is no retail without people. There isn't. Mm -hmm. We can have conversations about AI, and we can do all of that, Mm -hmm. and as a supplement. But there is no retail without people, and you're right. I think years ago, people who work in retail were thought of as kind of disposable. Or I'm sure there's somebody else. I'm sure that there's more. Hey, if we lose a few, we could, there's always more behind the scenes. And that has changed. And so now it is incumbent on every brand to say, how are we going to attract and retain the people? You know, we kind of use this like top talent phrase loosely. I think it's, I would change that and say, it's really about the people that are right for your brand today. Who love what they do and are committed to the success of the customer experience. And so I think, I think very deeply about this because we can't do anything if we don't find a solution to connect all of these incredible people. And I say that because I, I meet them and I hear from them and I speak to them every day. There are millions of incredible people who work in this business who also Want to work for some of the great brands around and maybe want to work for a small startup. They want to do both. Mm -hmm. And it's and at the same time making an investment, having the ability to create an investment in yourself through building community. So what I'm creating, and I've mentioned earlier, company name is Aussie, is has three pillars. One is to creating community for candidates, and I use the word candidate, but it doesn't even mean that you are actively searching. It could just be that you want to be in a community with other people who work in retail. And community is often an overused word, but there's no better word to describe it. I'll just say a community where there will be webinars hosted by myself and other guest speakers. There will be blog posts. There will be on-demand coaching through a partnership that I'm going to have with another about to start up company. So everything could be resume review, all the things that you need to be a great candidate, to be someone who works in retail, someone who wants to learn more about the industry, how to get where you are. So coaching on demand uh, will provide the opportunity to learn how to grow your career. So these none of these tools currently exist in any one format. So that's pillar number one, thousands and thousands of people who love this business and have a place to go. Pillar two is for retailers to say, I want the level of having an executive search level high-touch recruiting experience, but I'm, most brands are unwilling to pay for that for roles in the store. And so when the average recruiting fees are 15 to 22% of someone's annual salary, generally if you're if I'm hiring a store manager I'm not going to pay those fees mm-hmm. just not I'm like I can post on LinkedIn I'll post on Indeed I'll post anywhere and and cross my fingers and hope for the best the reality is that doesn't work Aussie will provide a paid way a subscription based paid way for retailers to post their jobs and then be presented to candidates as through this candidate pool that I have to these for these open jobs so very high touch level of service the candidates will say i'm interested in that role they will all be screened and pre-interviewed and then be presented to the retailers so the, they will have that level of service that they need and desire nothing AI, ai based here all very human and it's because i believe so strongly that if i'm being hired into retail the The reason I'm hired is because I'm creating an experience for a customer. That's why I'm hired. It's the first thing, day one of training. Great, Ron, like, welcome to the team. Today, we're going to talk about our customer service expectations. Well, that's great. I'd love to learn about that. But I just had the most horrendous experience trying to get this job. I applied three (laughs) different times. I went on six different interviews Uh or I got ghosted after three. No (laughs) one called me back. I've heard (laughs) it all. Yeah. The worst
2: time, like to, I mean, you're taking somebody who obviously has brand affinity, Mm -hmm. wants Mm -hmm. to work for you, and then you ruin their experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't wear Nikes for probably five years after my six interviews at Nikes to the point where, like, I don't even want to work for you anymore. Not interested in a hire letter. Right. This has been the worst experience of my life. And, like, yeah, it hurt my relationship with the brand.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Yeah. It's exactly what happens. But yeah, I think it has we're, to it. we're expecting people to show up on day one with this commitment to serve a brand that you're hired for, to serve the customer of that brand. Yet I have not been well taken care of in this journey. So that's what I'm going to change. And yep. the third pillar is really around solution providers because great retail today can't survive or thrive without great solution providers, whatever that is for your business. And I, there's still things being read. I read an article today, you know, about if you're not already omni-channel, which seems so strange to read it. And then I was going through and I'm like, actually, a lot of this makes sense you know, that there, you need to make the investments in, uh, in solution and tech, tech solutions that enable the success of your business. And retailers often come to me and say, I want to add Live chat. I want to add, I need a new POS solution. I, what training's out there? What do I need? So they'll usually come to me. And so having part of Aussie also be dedicated to current solution providers and being able to make introductions to the retailers. So it's for me, it's the full circle of our industry of p- people who love working in it, primarily for stores retailers who are looking for these great people and looking for solution providers and solution providers looking for retailers. I also think Mm -hmm. candidates should know more about solution providers in Mm -hmm. the industry. So you can go into an interview and and ask questions like, tell me about how you manage inventory across channels. I think that's a very valid question. And if Mm -hmm. the person interviewing you can't answer that, that's a problem. Or tell me about how you're using AI and what's the current conversation in the future? Or have you thought about adding live chat to your site? I see you don't have it today. I think those are valid questions that I want to be able to teach candidates how to be a great candidate by knowing more about the industry. Yeah.
2: Well, I think it's too, with new with new software and, and and solutions, you come with new jobs and an upskilling opportunity. Correct. And there isn't really a program a lot of times in the organizations for upskilling. You know, right. I've had great experiences and poor experiences like us all. Not everybody has like a Polo University. Right. right? No, right. Like, exactly. I can work and go to class. Yep. I could leave my desk and go to class. And I think that, you know, these are things that definitely need to be highlighted because a resume, 10 resumes from somebody who is a magical machine in a store says nothing on paper.
1: Right.
2: The skills just don't really translate to like a hit list of what you do. Like what you write down is really not what you do. Yeah. Right. You know, because it's yeah. so much leadership and so much more. It's it's not being a key holder. Right, Well, it's not folding clothes. Right. It's not checking in stock. That is not your job. You just happen to do that. wow,
1: right. right. And uh, but I also I think what the, what often happens is we don't provide the language for people for a keyholder in a two million dollars store to go into an interview and say, "Let me tell you about what I do every day." let me okay. like here's you wouldn't talk about revenue, but uh, I manage at least a hundred customers a day. I've learned merchandising. I've, I've done our windows six different times. Mm-hmm. I've managed lines, cash management. I've done inventory. I, under, I understand how to organize the stock room. Like, we just don't teach people how to articulate their skills in order to move their careers forward. And that's where I want to change some of that. Like How do you actually become a great candidate? Why do you mm-hmm. love this business? And then where do you want to work? You choose. You choose. Yeah. Where do you want to work? And let me help you do that. And so that's the f- just general philosophies of, of what I'm building to to launch this fall. And as you can tell, I'm clearly very excited about it because mm-hmm. it's we can't have any conversation about anything if we don't solve this. We will yeah. have generation right. done new generations, new
2: generations. For you to be doing, <laughs> to yeah. be an Thank you. Like it is such a, it's such
1: What's
0: well, such a unique it's approach? Crutch,
2: it's the crutch that we've all known exists yeah. and we just we don't know how to fix it. We don't have the resources to fix it inside. Yeah. And right. it really needed to be somebody that one everybody already respected and adored and <laughs> likes working with. But we it needed to be operationalized yeah, yeah. and it needed to be done outside by an insider. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That that's true. That's true. I and mean, it it makes me think you know one of the things I really wanted to ask you on this wrong. I I do think that the way you're approaching it is so unique. And I know you've you've said before, it's not necessarily that there haven't been technology solutions to help with this, but none of them have been specifically geared for solving this for retail store teams, for that type of hiring. So it's kind of been one of those things like trying to take the square peg into a round hole where you're trying to make something fit that wasn't designed for it. But it, it it always makes me wondering that The the problem has been there. I I think it's probably okay to say that in recent years, right, this has bubbled up to the surface in a way that's uniquely been more apparent, perhaps, than before. But I don't think it's a new problem, right? That this it's not that this hasn't existed before, but it doesn't seem like anyone was willing to do something to solve it before. And I'm just wondering, what what do you think has changed? Or, or, or maybe I should ask a different way and say, why hasn't anyone tackled it yeah. before? <laughs> right? Why? Why are we where we're at
1: now? I think when you when you think about recruiting and being an executive executive search of recruiting, you know the the money is in the high paying jobs. True, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So you, know, you get commission based on salaries. I would say, and the reason why recruiting hasn't changed is because it's very hard to break like the current kind of cost structure and so retailers would say i'm not going to use a recruiter because they don't know how much it's going to cost they use it in like a pinch situation where they can't find anything else i would say this you should have a solution in place where you have a constant access to great people kind of on demand and change the way you think about how the pricing model works and and I'll be able to share more about that later, but a predictable pricing model then creates the opportunity for a retailer to invest in and in using a recruiter. And that right there inherently changes the way they'll think about it. I also think because to your point earlier, Ricardo, the store level jobs, we'll just say GM, store manager, high levels, assistant store manager, full-time sales, even like a multi-store leader. Those jobs have all just felt like, well, we can, sure we can find somebody on our own. I'm sure you know somebody, you could walk around the mall, all the things that people have been trying to do for years that don't work, right? So it, it, they just don't. And I think the last part of this is that there's, we are in a place now where headcount in stores is lower than it's mm-hmm. ever been. Mm-hmm. So we would say, well, great, we have to minimize our cost structure and and, and minimize our risk. And just from that line on the P&L, so fine, if your headcount is lower, I respect it because I've been running stores and I understand what that means. But th- therefore, if my team was at 10 and now it's at seven, and maybe sometimes it's at five, those five people have to be phenomenal and highly dedicated to the success of your business or you won't win. And that's the difference here of like, you can have fewer, but the fewer have to be different than if you have 10 and today you have five. It's a different mindset about who you hire.
2: I mean, I think that this is not going to be on everybody's mind. If, how, does, how does Aussie work? If I'm a retailer and I'm a hire, actually, if I'm a hiring manager out yeah. a brand, yeah. how do I best engage to find the right candidate if I'm a store manager and I can go through that process? Or do I need to call HR?
1: So it could be, it could be both because this is we subscription based. It will be very easy to post a job and kind of pay, pay with a credit card and post a job. So yes, it can be done by at any level. I think those, some of them that are going to be multiple jobs will require some, some level of, but the pricing model will be as such and say, you know, what? I really want to be part of this. I really want access to what Aussie is building. I'm going to post some jobs on there at a cost rate that would be easily approved is how I would put it versus signing a contract with a recruiter. And then all of this, you know, we're also looking at signing bonuses paid by Aussie for people taking these jobs. Again, like highly motivated people are exactly what the industry needs to move it forward. And it. we have to change the way that we, we think about this.
2: Going back to the candidates, I really like this idea of a community and having that development opportunity. Is there a cost? I mean, how does somebody who works at a store in Davenport, Iowa, join the community?
1: (laughs) I love this question, Casey. (laughs) Can they? They absolutely can. I would welcome them. And so what what I think is important is that if if I'm going to say that retail is an industry that's open to all, that it should be open to all regardless of any financial constraint. So everything for the candidate on Aussie will be free. And so that will include webinars, that will include on-demand coaching through another platform partnership. It will include blog posts and many other things, the ability to network, meet other potential mentors, all of this. I think it's important that we build something that is very candidate-friendly. Everyone can join. You build a profile, upload your resume if you choose, put some fun things in about you. And so you can really think about it as LinkedIn, but for retail-specific and very candidate and store-specific that way. Uh, That. With probably with more live streaming, you know, all of this. So it's a, because LinkedIn is, Fantastic. And as everybody knows, I'm on there a lot, but it's uh, can be very overwhelming for kind of a, an entry user and do, don't really know where to start or how to search or how to find your own community. And so that's that's what I'm going to build. And so whether you are part-time just getting started, you've been in the industry for 20, 30 years, and you want to continue to meet new people in your city or other places, that's you'll find them all on Aussie.
2: Amazing. Definitely. We'll, we'll make sure that everyone in our network knows about how to join. Once Aussie launches, will we see a new season of retail in America?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. will. so I've, I've been on, Mm -hmm. on hiatus since Mm -hmm. for season one, the last couple of months, because, you know, season one was about going out and meeting Mm -hmm. people where they are. I wanted to live in the Airstream, travel to all these states. See where people work, see their local cities, understand retail communities at their core. And as I may have mentioned, you know, some of that was very small town. You know, a lot of the campgrounds we were in, Walmart was the only place to shop or mm. family owned yeah. businesses. And so having that experience versus kind of New York City and having everything at your fingertips, I remember actually very specifically pretty early on because I love Starbucks. I drink a lot of coffee and I, we look, I was like, "Oh, where's the nearest Starbucks?" Like, pull up the app. It was like fifty-seven miles away, and I'm like, <laughs> "Wow!" Like, we really wow. are. Like, we're spoiled. <laughs> we're really spoiled. And I like, I need coffee now. <laughs> and I, there were four Starbucks within one block radius of my apartment in New York City. So, like those kinds of ideas, or like, I wanted to understand what that really meant. And so when I think about retail, it's not just fashion in New York City. It's actually so much bigger, yeah. so much bigger than that. Yeah. And it's, uh, season two will very much be about the retail industry and retail in America, but you know, it won't be on the road. So it will pro- mm-hmm. likely be celebrating candidates that, are, mm. that have had great careers and maybe found new jobs on Aussie, retailers who are doing the right thing for their people and investing. So celebrating retailers that are doing that well today with on a, from a people perspective and solution providers celebrating them that are also doing great work. So I think it's, it's taking everything I learned on the road and putting it into a new season, celebrating the industry with some new ideas. Oh, love that. Okay. Looking forward to that for sure. So
0: I guess the other thing you have to ask then is based on your experience from season one and, and the tour itself, are any chances that you've got plans for another book in the future? So
1: my original goal was that I, I would, I would have written it from the road. Mm. I will tell you that it was, oh, and while if you follow me on Instagram, it looks beautiful and yeah. I love everywhere that I was, it was a lot of work behind the scenes. And there were, <laughs> it was a lot less of like Ron sitting at a picnic table uh huh. <laughs> like writing, and a little more about like how do you empty the sewage tank? Like, I, like <laughs> yeah, I could make little it look things. glamorous, but it was it was a lot of work. Yeah. So I, mean, I didn't have to
2: <laughs> alone is enough work, and we're just we're just layering it on here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, you know, I could do a lot. I'm I'm a highly productive person, but I was like, I just I couldn't find the time. So. To answer your question, I would love to because the, some of the biggest requests that I get from readers are around retail leadership. Of mm-hmm. like, I love my job. I'm really proud of working in mm-hmm. retail. I love that you wrote about empathy and curiosity and focus. The top ten reasons why we love retail, like all the things that are pillars of retail pride. But I'm been in the man. I'm a manager for the last ten years. How do I become a district manager? how do I, what do I need to do to invest in my team? So much more of a leadership slant. And I think a lot of that will come through Aussie, Mm -hmm. but I would also like to write a book that's specifically about retail leadership. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple that have been now growing between April and Kit Campoy and Mm -hmm. the people who have done great or written great content, retail leadership, but there's always room for more. I think to your point, Casey, earlier, you've 15 to 20 million people work in this industry. We need a lot more content and a lot more resources to make sure that this is continues to thrive. And I spoke last week virtually to Marist College, which is an upst- upstate New York fashion school. And they they had invited high school juniors and seniors to Marist College for the day. They had like a day on campus and learned all about fashion and retail. And I was kind of their last speaker of the day and really talking about what it means to join this industry. No matter what you want to do, get a part-time job in retail, like find a brand that you love and just get a part-time job as a senior in high school. And they were really 30 or 40 kids like really like this idea. And when I speak about this is what you will learn and gain, and no matter where you end up in the industry, the knowledge base that you will have about how it operates from working in a store is like no other. And yes. so like this constant, like new people join the industry, how does it, how is it changing? How is it the same? What do we need to do to talk about great careers? And so that's, that's what I will continue to do and, and write about. If I know I've asked you this in the past, Ron,
0: I'm on, yeah, I'm going to ask again, because this always comes to mind when I hear you say these things, I always start to wonder why aren't there other retail executives, other retail leaders that are also saying all of these things that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sit here and, and we'll say, well, hear you say these things wrong. And I think, and every time you've been on the show before, we've said, well, that so, makes so much sense. It's, of course, we need to do that. Yes, we need more of that. Why aren't there more people doing these things <laughs> and saying more of these things to really make a, a difference in, in the way that we hear you saying all of these things?
1: Yeah, I, I wish I could answer that question, Ricardo, because I, I think similar to a c- content and, and, and more speakers and more people that came mm-hmm. from the field, there's so much value in a perspective of the field and so mm-hmm. much value in representing what is likely the largest segment of your workforce for any company that has stores. And so this kind com- of pride that comes with it. I do want more people to speak up about why stores are so important. I do want more executives to do that. But I will tell you that I'm often in a room and I'm on several, several advisory boards and I'm Mm -hmm. often in the room. I'm the only person from stores. Hmm. A lot of very senior C-suite executives all around the table. And as people introduce themselves, they come through marketing or finance, merchandising. They come from other parts of our industry. And that they generally don't come from stores. So I, I do think I have a unique point of view and they will likely run much bigger businesses than I have. I just have always leaned heavily into the store side It's where I've kept my focus because I just believe so strongly in people. I, I go back to what I observed my grandfather doing of leading a large crew of construction workers on a job site of like, how he engaged how he asked questions what he learned from them i think the same way about retail like we owe it to the people doing the hardest work to speak sometimes on their behalf because they don't have platforms like this i'm so honored to be able to speak on behalf sometimes of the industry and what it means to work in the field and i just keep going back there and while it may not always be the most glamorous side of our industry i think it's the best part of it it's the most it's the most important part because it's the people part and it's the people that engage with our customers let's let's get some yeah. more people on on stage that maybe came from stores
0: yeah 100% agree yeah. agree I and mean, that, on that it. fits exactly with, with <laughs> what we're calling our back to basics theme this yes. season that that's a Good. focus that every retailer needs to needs to have
1: yeah but thank
0: you.
2: Ron, this has been another incredible conversation. And I know that this is just going to be one of the many that's to come as you you launch Aussie. We you are, I think you are retail's favorite person. So nothing but <laughs> the greatest success is in front of you, I have no doubt. So thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing more about your journey, your accidental career in retail, and what we can expect so that Everyone has the support that they need to future-proof this beautiful business of ours.
1: Thank you. Future-proof is a really good way to put it, Casey. And th- yeah, thank you for continuing to invite me back and share the journey along along the way. I'm still learning at the same time about what the industry needs and wants and and where I can add the most amount of value. And I'm very confident that what's next for for me and what we're building at Aussie is exactly what the industry needs right now.
0: Well, we are definitely looking forward to Aussie's launch and everything else that you have coming up. I think maybe the last thing maybe for us to, to ask is, you know, how does someone find out more? Uh, if any listeners want to, you know, be prepared to preview Aussie when, when it launches and be there or for it, how, how do they reach out to you? How does anyone
1: find out more? Yeah, great. Thanks, Ricardo. So I'd use U-S-E-O-S-S-Y dot com, it's really just an email capture. You kind of tag yourself as being a candidate or retailer, a solution provider. That's just helpful for us behind the scenes. And then when we get closer to launch, you'll go back into that platform and you'll create your profiles and, uh, like learn more about it, see, see some of the content that's coming through and kind of how it all operates. There'll be, there's a chat function built in all of the kind of, some of the biggest pain points around scheduling interviews is all built into the platform. As far as booking meetings, everything will all be in one place. All of the content, all of the conversations, all the job postings, everything will be built into the platform. So you'll be able to see it and play with it and and hopefully join, because we will create like the largest resource for a job search in our industry. That's my goal.
2: Incredible. Well, yeah. Ricardo, I'd say this episode is officially a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us again, Ron.
1: Thank you, Casey. Thanks, Ricardo. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Ron. Thank you.
2: If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player or watch us on YouTube so you just don't miss a minute. If you want to know more about what we talked about today and take a look at the show notes for handy links and more deets. And if you're not listening on Good Pods, we recommend giving them a spin and join their podcasting community. Check it out and follow the show there. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden.
0: If you'd like to connect with us and share your feedback, follow us and the show on Twitter at kccgolden, Golden, Ricardo underscore Belmar and at Retail Razor or find us on LinkedIn. And if you want to see even more from us, check out and subscribe to our Substack newsletter that includes full episode transcripts and bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar.
2: Thanks for joining us.
0: And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is The Retail Razor Show.